Praise God. Good morning, church. Amen. So there's this thing that goes back good ways in history, and it's this call and response that's part of an Easter tradition, a Resurrection Day tradition, and it goes like this, where the minister will say, in whatever kind of church, will say, he is risen. Does anybody know what you say in response? He is risen. Okay, so that doesn't count. We're going to do it the official way. Okay, ready? Here we go. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. Praise God. And we're going to look at that together from God's word. Why don't you go ahead and open up to 1 Peter chapter 1. And while you're doing that, let me just say a word of welcome to guests who are with us this morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here this fine morning. Easter is always such a special occasion. Uh, There's a little bit extra oomph behind our singing. Wasn't it awesome having the choir up and leading us again here this morning? And it's, and it's a beautiful Sunday in particular because even though we'll sing some of the same themes on other Sundays, we are looking right at the, the target. We are looking dead center at the central message of the Christian hope and of the Christian faith. So I hope if that's what you experienced, kind of watch the excitement and sense the excitement as we're singing, that, that that's what that's all about is as Christians, we know this is where we got life from, from Jesus' resurrection. This is where we get our joy. This is where we get our hope from. And we're going to see that together in God's word. If you were here on Good Friday, we had a really special evening on Good Friday. So thankful to Daniel and the team and Chris Kinsley and his communications team. So many who put into that effort. And we had kind of our take on what has historically been called a tenebrae service. Tenebrae being the Latin word for darkness. And so as the evening wore on, the lights were getting darker and darker, and we were reading about what happened in the darkness in the evening, in the night of Holy Week. It was a rich, rich time. And then, what a wonderful opportunity as we gather together on Sunday morning for the darkness to lift and for us to sing about the hope we have in the resurrection, which is the central point of this text. If you're in 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to start reading to you in just a moment. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be up here on the screen for you. Follow along if you would as I read to you. The Apostle Peter writes these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief and various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls." So there's a difference between holding on to something as a concept and holding on to it for dear life. C.S. Lewis, a well-known Christian author who was formerly an atheist and then converted to Christianity, and he 
probably most popular for his writing of the children's literature, the Chronicles of Narnia, but also wrote a number of other, Mere Christianity, a number of other books. Well, one of the books that he wrote late in life, so he died in 1963, he wrote this book in 1961, and he wrote it about what happened in 1960, because in 1960, he lost his wife, Joy, to cancer. And he wrote this book, and it was so, it was uh, him processing his grief and his loss. And it was so raw, the book, and the honesty in the book was so, so personal and so raw that he released the book under a pseudonym. He released it under the name N.W. Clerk, and he referred to his wife throughout the book simply with the letter H, because very, people, very few people knew that her first name wasn't Joy, her first name was Helen. And so that was his way of, of hiding that reality. And then when he died, three years after his wife died in 1963, the book was republished under his actual name, C.S. Lewis, and the name of the book was called A Grief Observed. And in the book, he talks about really in a profound way the difference between holding on to something as a concept and holding on to it for dear life. Here's what he writes. You never know how much you really believe anything until its truth of falsehood becomes a matter of life and death to you. It is easy to say you believe a rope to be strong and sound as long as you are merely using it to cord a box. But suppose you had to hang by that rope over a precipice. Wouldn't you then discover how much you really trusted it? I think the same is true of Easter. It's easy to say Jesus rose again. It's another to hold onto it like it's a rope over a precipice. It's another thing to hold onto it for dear life. Like this is my salvation. This reality is what keeps me above the storm. This passage, friends, is not about the concept of Easter or even so much the historical event of Easter itself. It is about the experience of Easter. That's what Peter's talking about. You see in verse three, or it's gonna be on the screen, God has, Peter writes, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So through the resurrection of Jesus, we get something. That's why the name of the message here this morning is the gifts of Easter. God has given us, Peter says, new birth, living hope, through Easter. Other Bible translations aren't gonna translate it new birth, they'll translate it born again. Maybe your translation did that, that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope. So just pause there for a second because the concept of being born again is, is fuzzy in our culture. And sadly, sometimes the term born again is hijacked from some of the loudest people in the room who don't live like they're actually born again, so it gets super confusing. What does it mean to actually be born again, because born again gets a lot of bad press in our culture by the people who claim to be born again. British writer Catherine Whitehorn asked this question, why do born again people make you wish that they had never been born the first time? <laughs> Another columnist, Herb Cain, said it this way, the trouble with born again Christians is that they are in even bigger pain the second time around. Right, so Peter, though, he's not, talking about, he's not talking about what passes as being born again in our culture. He's talking about the real thing. He's talking about new life wired up to the empty tomb, powerful life transformation brought about by the death and resurrection of Jesus made real to the life of those who trust in him. So here's the big idea. If you're taking notes this morning, this is in your notes. Here's the big idea. God didn't raise Jesus from the dead so we can acknowledge it as a fact of history. 
He raised Jesus from the dead so he could give us new life. It's a deeply experiential text. Essentially what Peter is saying is Peter is saying, you wanna see what the risen Jesus unleashed on the world, what the risen Jesus has been up to since the very first Easter? Look for people who have living hope. They're the ones who get it. They're the ones who have seen the power of God and experienced it in their lives. So Peter, in this sense, he lets you see Jesus walk out of the tomb, as it were, with gifts in his hands, gifts for the world. And we're gonna look at those gifts that come out of the tomb with Jesus on Easter Sunday. Number one is the gift of hope for tomorrow. The gift of hope for tomorrow. So to all who trust in Jesus, Easter gives the gift of hope of hope, he says in the text, living hope, you get this, you get living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And Peter knew something about the need for living hope. You know, here Peter is writing this letter to, to God's people who are scattered throughout Asia Minor. He's writing it some 35 years after that Holy Week that led to the original Easter. So 35 years has passed and he had this life-transforming experience that week. Holy Week was a crisis for Jesus' disciples and in particular, Holy Week was a crisis of faith for Peter. Why? Because the heat got turned up on Holy Week and Peter saw some things about himself that he didn't know. What did Peter discover about himself? He's human. He, he discovered his spiritual cape wasn't flapping in the wind behind him. He discovered that he was a coward that he would not be the last one standing with Jesus, that he would actually, in a span of 24 hours, he would say to Jesus, I'll be the last one to leave you behind. I'll walk with you to death. And then you check him out the very next day and he denies Jesus three times at a charcoal fire, just a stone's throw from the place of the crucifixion. Peter saw some things that stunned his own sense of hope, his hope in himself was completely dashed, his hope in the promises of, of God. He thought, and you can even see this when the resurrected Jesus appears to the disciples, they're talking and they're saying like, we thought he was the one. We thought that he was the one who would sit on the throne forever, who would restore the glory of Israel. We, we thought that Jesus was the Messiah who would take the throne and then the one that he thought would end the nightmare ends up on a cross. It's not surprising then that he's kicking up dust in the following days leading before the appearance of Jesus in the resurrection. It was over for him. It was over for him and the disciples. And then you read the stories of the gospels, which we've looked at on other Easter Sundays, but we're not looking at this morning. You read the stories of the other gospels and then Sunday morning after the resurrection, some women come back to Jerusalem and they are utterly breathless and they're saying, so we went to the tomb and the tomb was empty and there was an angel and the angel told us that Jesus is alive. Why do you seek the living among the dead and what happened? You read that text and it says that Peter and John go running. <laughs> no sooner have they heard half a sentence and both of them are running to the tomb. And I love how John's gospel tells us, John says, I got there first. He just includes that little insight, just wanted everybody to know for all of history, I beat Peter, right? So he gets to the tomb first, but he stays outside the tomb and Jesus gets there, uh, rather Peter gets there after and John is just standing there and Peter goes, Peter goes running in. Why is Peter the first one to go inside? Peter was looking for hope and for the first time in his life, he was looking for it in the right place, the empty tomb. And some 35 years later, he would write to Christians and he would say, I know you're suffering, but we've got living hope. 
We've got it because the tomb was empty. I saw it. The tomb was empty. So we have this thing called hope. Friend, your hope, my hope, the reason we sing as loud as we were just a minute ago, and we're gonna sing again at the end, your hope and my hope should be as full today as the tomb was empty on that first Easter Sunday. So we have a living hope. Here's something else. We know something about the future. Peter's using terms about the future. He says, he uses this image of an inheritance. We have an inheritance. You see the words that describe this inheritance? You might want to underline this in your Bible if you got it open. Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. In other words, this is an indestructible inheritance. There's a saying that goes back many years in Christian circles, and it goes something like this. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. It's a statement about the indestructible hope that Christians have because of Jesus. We, we have an inheritance, Peter says, and our inheritance is secure. It's a big idea here in this text that it's being kept for you by God's power. That's what he says. So you think about that, when something is kept for you, it's being held for you. We, um, we had a fender bender. It was, it was almost Easter weekend a few years ago. We had a fender bender and... So over that weekend, we were shopping online and we found a, a, a car for a great deal, but it was in Huntsville. And so my wife calls on Saturday and says, we just found this car, it's on your lot, and we'd like for you to hold it so that when we get there first thing Monday morning, the car is there and we can do the deal and, and all the rest. She said, what we don't want is to drive there, be there when the bell rings at the very beginning of the workday, and the car's not there. So can you hold this car for us? And the car salesman said over the phone, trust me, I'll hold the car for you. And so we headed out first thing Monday morning. We got there the moment the bell rang at the beginning of the day there in Huntsville. And, uh, and we said, so where's the car? And, and the car was there. Some of you were kind of waiting like as if it was gonna be a bad story. It's like, oh, no, the car was there. And, and we said, thanks for having the car here. We were worried and nervous on our drive all the way over. And he said, no, no, the, I had the car all along. He said, there's only one key to this car. And so I hid it right when we got off the phone, which you can read into that, whatever you think about that particular car salesman. We think he's awesome because it means we got there, the car was there. There was no way for anybody to test drive that car. The key was gone. Nobody could find it. So it was there for us when we, when we got there. The key was guarded for us. Peter is using that language of something's being kept by God for you and it's an inheritance. And when you get there, it's not gonna be missing. It's going to be there, it's been guarded. But our passage, notice it doesn't just say that the inheritance is being guarded for you. Verse five, you are being guarded by God's power. So both the inheritance and you, the inheritance is being kept for you and you are being kept for and guarded for the inheritance. All who trust in Jesus Christ, he will keep you to the end. Look, here's the beautiful thing. Even when you're not in the mood to be kept, he will keep you. There was a song that we used to sing in our church about the wondrous love of God, and it said, yet if my hold should ever fail, your wondrous love will never let me go. Jesus would talk about this in John chapter 10 where he says, he talks about the Father and I are holding on and nobody Nobody will be lost. 
all of his people will be redeemed. The inheritance is being kept by the power of God. It's an awesome thing. Your grip is not the decisive one. God's is. When your grip fails, God still can hold you. It's the beauty of the hope that we have in Christ. And maybe you're not a Christian here this morning. Maybe you're not a Christian because you look around at other Christians and you're like, I don't know if I, don't know if I could live that life. I, I see them living their lives. I'm just not sure I could pull that off. And I would just want to say to you, friend, I'm sorry we've given you the impression that we're pulling this off. <laughs> Far from it. You are in the room with a a room full of train wrecks whose only hope is the mercy of God. That's who you're surrounded by. If you you think you can't pull this off, you are in perfect company here this morning. His grip holds us. He is guarding the inheritance and he is keeping us for the inheritance. Look, I need good news every Sunday like that. This isn't just good news. Look, I'm just gonna bring it on, on Easter Sunday. I needed this good news last Sunday. I'm just predicting it, I'm gonna need it next Sunday. It's not gonna be Easter next Sunday, but I'm gonna need good news about the death and resurrection of Jesus in my place. I'm gonna need that again next Sunday. Look, I don't wanna stand up here, none of us do, wants to stand up here and preach, preach sermons that sound like lectures from the mountaintop of freedom and power and victory. What a joke. If God didn't keep my faith, I'd fall by the end of the day. God preserves us. That is our only hope. God preserves us. Christian friend, let me remind you this morning of the real power of the resurrection. Your hope is being kept in the hands of God and you are being kept for the hope that awaits you. We have a secure inheritance. Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. What's that mean? It means Satan can't rob the Christian's hope. Cancer can't rob the Christian hope. Wheelchairs, infertility, loneliness, struggles against temptation can't rob the Christian's hope. I almost named this message, Why I Am a Christian. Because friends, no ideology in the world can rival the Christian faith in the hope department. Hope is our fastball. Hope has been our fastball since Jesus walked out of the empty tomb on Easter Sunday, we have the gift of hope for tomorrow and the second gift that Jesus walks out of the tomb with is the gift of strength for today. And now some of you might know if you're familiar with Christian hymnody that I'm borrowing language from the great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. The second verse of that hymn says this, pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. You talk about gifts, pardon and peace Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow, blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Gifts of Easter. The language that Peter uses there in verse six, you see, he says, you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. You just look at those words there. So you rejoice even though you suffer. It's hard, but you still somehow have this deep running joy. It's not necessarily an emotion. Doesn't mean that you're giddy all the time or big plastic smile across your face. It means there's some deep running wells of joy that that nothing in this world and no suffering can 
stop them. We have joy even when life is hard. That's what Peter's saying. We're gonna suffer for a little while, but we have joy even in the midst of it. You, you think about the fact that he uses that term, even though now for a short time you suffer grief. It's an article of the Christian faith that this life is a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow and Peter is saying, we're gonna suffer for a minute and then there will be glory forever. It'll all be worth it in the end. Hang on, hang on to that rope for dear life and hope in Christ. We have solid hope. I was a worship pastor for 18 years before becoming senior pastor here at Brook Hills and people will ask me all the time, do you miss leading worship? There are aspects of it that, that I miss that were just a great joy uh, and I would have continued doing it had the Lord not called me in this way. I, I enjoy what I'm doing now. But when I think about things that I do miss, one of the things that I miss is just having the vantage point of sitting or standing here and looking at God's people Sunday after Sunday and knowing stories around the room and seeing, getting that sense as I watch you sing that God himself is putting something into you as you sing the truth. He's putting stability into believers. He's putting faith, fresh faith into believers and fresh joy into believers. And it, and it compounds it when you know the stories of people around the room. Right, so I've seen friends with terminal cancer in this very room sing like the heavens were opening before them. I've seen friends who are in broken marriages and they were singing like God was holding them up in the middle of a storm, like this rope is the only thing that keeps me. Uh, most amazingly, perhaps, I've seen believers sing while praying that God would help them believe what they're singing. Almost like, like Peter who says, I believe, help my unbelief. People singing anyway. <laughs> People worshiping anyway, witnessed it a thousand times. And even here, the story that Kevin was sharing, Kevin has played bass up here for, for some time and CJ has played drums up here for some time and I've seen them worship in front of us and yet now I see it in a different light because now I know your story, now I know how God held on to you, how he made you his own, right? So I used to be able to see that every Sunday, now I sit there so I get to see them do it because if I turned around, it might be creeping you out. I'm turn around just kind of looking, studying your face, it's like stop, just turn around, be normal. Um, um, it's a powerful thing. We have joy in the midst of hard circumstances. The Scottish minister, George Matheson, was born in the 1800s and he was blind from his youth and he wrote a poem about joy and suffering. O oh joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain. I think about a woman named Linda who had ALS in our previous church and week after week, I just watch her sing and trace the rainbow through the rain. As she lost mobility more and more in the passing weeks, she's tracing the rainbow through the rain. We have joy even when things are hard. Here's another truth, our trials are proving and refining our faith. Suffering has a way of doing that, doesn't it? Of, of showing you if you're the real McCoy. 
right? Showing you what's going on on the inside. You know, if you see two people and one of them claims to have faith but doesn't and the other claims to have faith and does and everything's going well in both of their lives, you can't tell the difference. But when suffering hits, Peter says, watch the real believers. They continue to hope in God. Um, think about the difference between what looks on the outside and, and how we size things up. My dad, <laughs> some of you have heard this story, he had many qualities. Um, he was not nature savvy. And so when, we, when I grew up in New Orleans, there was um, one particular night where we were going out, it was a special occasion, we were going out to eat. And uh, whenever I would ask my parents and I would say, hey, can we go to McDonald's? They would say, we're going to McMason's. Uh, so that was their way of just kind of rubbing it in that we don't, we don't go out to eat. Uh, so we were going out to eat, it was a big deal. And we're driving down our street and West Esplanade, if you get on West Esplanade, off our street to go places. And so we're waiting and just cars are zooming past West Esplanade. And, um, and while we're there in our station wagon, I'm in the back of the station wagon, and we see some kind of animal come up out of the West Esplanade Canal, comes onto the street, gets clipped by a vehicle, rises up, hisses, and then gets flattened by the next vehicle. And in that particular moment, Dad got so excited, and he sings out that he believed this animal to be a mink. And so that, right there, he throws it in park, he hops out of the car, my, my mom is begging him, Bill, please, please don't put that animal in our car. And we don't want to take the mink to McDonald's or wherever we were going that night. It's not worth it. Dad didn't hear a word of it, of what mom was saying. Why? Because he didn't see a dead mink, he saw this. Uh, so, so he waited for the, for the break in traffic. My mom is still yelling. Dad runs into the street, picks up the mink, tosses into the back with me. I'm in the back of the station wagon with, uh, with the mink. We, now we're canceling the plans. It stinks and the car stinks to high heaven. The plans are canceled and, and we're going home to the next door neighbors, the Ruyes, who are outdoorsy. They would eventually move to Covington where the, all the trees are. And, uh, but the Ruyes, they would know uh, what this was. So dad, <laughs> we park the car, we go next to, to Robbie Ruye, knocks on the door, dad's holding the, the mink. And he says, Robbie, what is this? And that's when we learned that particular night, there's a big difference between a mink and a ferret. <laughs> uh, big, big difference. Right, but from the outside looking in, you really couldn't tell the difference. Really, in my dad's defense, I went and Googled mink and ferret. They look a lot alike, right? So just honestly, they do look a lot alike. But you think about it, in, in, in Peter's language he's using here, you, you look at the outward life of two people. One has genuine faith and the other doesn't have genuine faith. But then you watch them suffer and you can see the real ones. You can see the ones who are hanging on for dear life. Resurrection is not a concept to me. I hold this or I'm done. This has to be true or I'm finished. You ever wonder, am I really a Christian? Or do I have spurious faith, passing faith? Did I kind of just walk an aisle or pray a prayer? Do I have real faith? And if you're asking that question, there are two sweet gifts that suffering in our lives produces. And one is, you know that God is truly present in the midst of suffering because you are clinging to him to make it through every day. And the second gift that suffering produces in the life of believers is this sense of newfound confidence. I do believe. I must believe. Or else why would I keep worshiping in the midst of this disaster area that has become my life? 
I must believe. It must be real. It's holding me up. Hardship is real, but glory awaits. I met um, a very compelling person. Her name is Johnny Erickson Tata. I met her a few years ago, but I was very familiar with her writings. Johnny Erickson Tata became a quadriplegic when she was 17 years old in 1967, a diving accident. And ever since that time, the Lord has done such a powerful work in her life and she writes about joy and suffering and when she, when she speaks, I just, I'm so blown away when I listen to her speak because she'll be up there and she's in a wheelchair, she can't move anything below her neck and she talks about suffering and joy and the promise of God and she just starts singing. She just, when she thinks of a hymn in the middle of a talk at a conference or wherever, she just starts singing. And she says, I can't wait to see Jesus on that day. And here's one of the things that she says she will say to him. Jesus, do you see that wheelchair? You were right when you said in this world we would have trouble because that thing was a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. It never would have happened had you not given me the bruising of the blessing of that wheelchair And now you can send that wheelchair to hell if you want. (laughs) Living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Joy even in the midst of suffering. So we've looked at the gifts themselves, but how do we receive these Easter gifts? Two words for us. Number one, trust in Jesus. Let me ask you this morning, do you have this living hope? hope. If you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ, that's where this whole thing begins. You have to understand the story that we had sinned against the God who made us. And because we sinned against God, it's a very serious thing. It broke our relationship with God. Now there's a massive chasm between a holy God and sinful humanity. And there's no way to get across. There's no way to make up for it through our own good works as if we could do them in the first place. We can't, and so how are we gonna cross the chasm? And we can't, and everybody on this side of the chasm is sentenced to die under the judgment of God. But the surprise twist ending of the Bible is that God, instead of judging us for what our sins deserve, judged his son for what our sins deserve. Put his son, Jesus, on the cross to bear the penalty we deserve. He absorbed the judgment in our place, condemned he stood, dies on the cross, buried in a tomb, raised three days later, and he says, everybody who wants life and hope, come with me. You want forgiveness for your sins? You want to be reconciled to God? I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. You want to get to God? Come through me. He is the only way to life, to forgiveness. He is the only way to hope. So repent and believe. Turn from sin. Turn from self. Trust in Christ. And second, hold on to Christ. Don't let Easter be a concept. Hold on to it for dear life. Easter Sunday is the perfect day for you to discover what you're really holding on to, where your hope really actually is. That same author, C.S. Lewis, he's writing in that same book, Grief Observed, and he writes these words about clarity. God has not been trying an experiment on my faith or love in order to find out their quality. He knew it already. It was I who didn't. In this trial, he makes us occupy the dock, the witness box, and the bench all at once. 
He always knew that my temple was a house of cards. His only way of making me realize the fact was to knock it down. Friend, God never exposes my paper-thin faith just to expose it or to ridicule, right? He, he only exposes it, and when he exposes it, he exposes it so that he can draw you and me into the real thing, so that he can wire your life up to the empty tomb so that new life comes and living hope comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. For 2,000 years, people have been receiving two gifts from Easter, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow through faith in Jesus Christ. You want in? If you want in, put your trust in Christ. Don't leave here without believing in him. Don't leave here without confessing your sin and praying to him to be reconciled to God. Maybe you would say, Matt, I did that a long time ago, but I've walked. And I've been on a long, wandering path ever since. And there again, I would just simply say, the author of this letter we've been reading, Peter, He's not unfamiliar with that journey as well. And I think if Peter were standing here this morning, he would say, look, I know you've walked. I walked for a season as well. But when God calls you home, don't delay. Friend, if you've been walking away from God, wandering away from God, and he's calling you home today, don't delay. Put your trust in Christ. I wanna give you some language to do that. I'm gonna lead us in prayer. If that's what you wanna do, follow along as I give you some some verbiage to make your own. You don't have to say it out loud, but just make this your intention before God. God, thank you for providing a mediator to reconcile us back to you after we had sinned. Thank you for placing our sin upon the perfect lamb who suffered, bled, and died for us. Thank you for the resurrection and all it means for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. I pray men, women, children all over this room would put their faith in Jesus. Some for the first time, some who knows where we are in the journey, but Lord, would you draw people to yourself? Give them the real thing. Give us, all of us, give us living hope afresh this morning through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And now, oh God, animate our song of worship as we sing again the hope that we have in you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.